Amen. You know, I always, as I've shared with you before, want there to be such continuity between our worship and, and the ministry of the word at the Oasis. And tonight, I just want to take note of that, that I just want to keep piggybacking on what our worship has been about and what the songs have been about. And I just want all of us to keep those words and those songs in our mind as we even go through the passages of Scripture tonight because they're just so fitting and so appropriate. Because when you boil it down, Moses was being asked to stand before a god. Pharaoh was considered a god, and he was the ruler of not only the most powerful nation on planet Earth at that time, but he was, you know, Egypt was the most powerful kingdom on earth at that time. And yet, as I shared last week, we can all stand before any king on earth when we stand before the king of kings and lord of lords and when we bow before him. And tonight is all about just, again, God saying, get your focus back on me. Get your eyes back on me. Remember who I am. And so... As we were worshiping tonight, even before we go to Exodus chapter 6, would you turn with me to the book of Hebrews for just a moment? I want to share two verses from the book of Hebrews that really connect even with what Exodus 6 is all about and, and what we've been worshiping about tonight. Remembering who our God is, that the battle belongs to the Lord, whom shall we fear? the greatness of our God, that he is faithful. Notice Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters. Now, therefore is there for a reason, and it connects us back to 2.18, that he is able to help those who are tempted. You need help? I need help. So it says, holy brothers and sisters, partners in a heavenly calling. Here's the words I want you to really zero in on. Take note of Jesus. The words take note in the original language mean to consider attentively, to fix one's eyes or mind upon Jesus. Oh, we need to do that every day of our lives. We need to fix our gaze, fix our attention, fix our minds on Jesus. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, the prophet says. And then turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 12, to a verse that may be a little bit more familiar to you. The beginning of verse 2, but I'm going to read verse 1 into verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we must get rid of every weight and the sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race set out for us. And how do we do that? Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. And by the way, the words keeping our eyes literally mean to look away from all else and fix our gaze upon Jesus. 
to look away from all else and fix our eyes upon Jesus. So back to Exodus chapter 6. Let's get some context here before we dive into Exodus 6 tonight. Let's remember that Moses finally gave in to the call of God and agreed to go before Pharaoh and command Pharaoh to release his people, the people of God. And he met with great resistance. Pharaoh said, I'm not going to let them go at all. You can forget about it. And Moses is just, he's gotten a gut punch. He's disheartened. He's frustrated. He's exasperated. He's undone. And we are reminded of this principle that just because we have God's presence with us, just because we have God's provision with us, just because we have the promises of God, it does not guarantee immediate fulfillment. God is in a process. And God is working on many things, multiple things at the same time. And it's not always about us. And yet Moses was done. Because remember, he had already struggled to give in to the call of God on his life to begin with. He resisted for a very long time. And now his worst fears are coming true. And so at the end of chapter 5, let's be reminded about what Moses did. He turns to the Lord, which we commended him for. Better to turn to the Lord than to turn away from the Lord, even when we're struggling with the Lord and struggling with what's going on, doing exactly what Job did, partnering with God, even through the pain and the struggle. And Moses lets God have it. He says, God, ever since you sent me, things have gotten worse instead of better for the people of God. Why did you send me? And then at the very end of chapter 5, he basically accuses God of being unfaithful. He says, you have not delivered your people as you said you would. Wow. Now we saw at the end of last week that God did not strike Moses dead. That God can take it and that God would rather us express everything that's on our hearts, because first of all, he knows what's there anyway. But he would rather us pour out even our anger, our frustration, our exasperation, all that, to him and process that with him than without him. Again, what Job did and what others have done. And so you'll notice at the beginning of chapter 6, God deals with Moses mercifully and responds to him mercifully. He never chastises Moses for asking why. And he doesn't get upset with Moses for the things that he said. He simply says, I need to reassure you, Moses, because you have gotten your eyes off of me. You need to remember who I am. You see, just because, like Moses, that we may be carrying out the will of God or the call of God on our lives doesn't mean we ever stop looking 
to God. Back to Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 12. Throughout our lives, we never should take our eyes off of God. We've got to continually come back and fix our attention and fix our mind and all of that on our God. Otherwise, we begin to look around at our own circumstances or how things are going or maybe even the enemies or challenges or obstacles in our way. For instance, in Moses' case, this was Pharaoh. And he even looked at himself and all the deficiencies that he felt he had. I can't speak very well. Fine, I'll give you Aaron. All of these things are coming into play in this whole situation here, just like it does with us. I mean, you take the example of the children of Israel in the Old Testament when God told them, I'll take you into the promised land, the same thing he told Abraham, the same thing that he was faithful to throughout, and yet when they sent the spies in, what did the spies come back and report? Oh, there's giants in the land because they got their eyes off of their God who was greater than all the giants put together and they had their eyes on the giants rather than on God. How could David go before Goliath, this little shepherd boy, with these little stones in that sling? Because his eyes were really not on the giant, they were on his God. And he knew that his God was greater than that giant. That's how God wants us to live. He doesn't want our eyes on our pharaohs, on our giants, on our Goliaths, on our challenges, on our obstacles. He doesn't want our eyes consumed and captivated even by how things are going. He wants us to keep our eyes on him because it is through that process that he's not only working and moving, but he's growing us through that process as well. So notice what he says to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. For compelled by my strong hand, he will release them. And by my strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. But before we see, we've got to see God. Before we see what he's going to do, we've got to see him. You see, he alone, his person, is the greatest encouragement, the greatest comfort, the, the greatest confidence builder that you and I can ever have is him. And that's why he's saying to Moses, this is what I will do, and I will show you what I will do, but first, you've got to get your eyes back on me. And before I share my promises, I've got to reveal my person to you again. And God does the same thing with us in our life. He's got to get us back to where we see him more than we see anything else. And even more than we see his promises, we've got to see the person behind the promises which is why God, and in verse 2, says this. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, Jehovah, capital L-O-R-D, the self-existent, eternal one. And I want you to take note of the fact that five times in chapter 6, God repeats this. I am. Doesn't that hearken back? <laughs> I am that I am, Moses. So notice down in verse 6. Therefore tell the Israelites, I am the Lord. Notice down in verse 7. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. 
the end of verse 8. And I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. And then finally, verses 28 and 29, when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Five times God is saying to the man who saw him in the burning bush, Moses, have you forgotten who I am? And oh, you know, that, that's why it's like, if Moses, the one who saw God, spoke to God, saw him face to face, and all, if Moses needed reassurance, if Moses needed reminded and needed to remember who his God was, you and I need the same. We, we can never go through a day, a week, a month, a year of our lives without continually being reminded and remembering who is our God. He is the great I am. He is the Lord. And he wants us to remember that first and foremost. I don't know what you're dealing with right now in your life, but I do know this. Our Lord is greater and bigger than all of it put together. I don't know who you're dealing with right now in your life, but I know God is greater and bigger than anyone that you're dealing with right now. Whatever your circumstance, whatever your situation is, in fact, we could put all of our situations and all of our circumstances together and God would still be greater and bigger than it all. He wants us to remember, I am that I am. Let's take note of Jesus. Let us continually fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. What a great song to end worship with tonight, the greatness of our God. Oh, God wants us to continually remember his greatness, his bigness, his, his largeness, his weight, if you will, his power, his authority, all of these things needs to weigh heavy upon God's people. His glory needs to weigh heavy upon us so that nothing else will, so that we know that he's big enough and great enough to handle anything and everything in our lives. And that's exactly where he was taking Moses. Before you see what I will do, you need to see me. Oh, that's a great principle. That's what he's saying to Moses. You will see, but before you see what I will do, see me. I think God wants to say that to us every day. When I wake up, Jeff, do you see me? As you're walking through the day, have you taken your eyes off me or are you still focused on me? See me, Jeff, see me. And God is saying the same thing to us that he said to Moses. When you and I are facing difficult circumstances, when we're facing our pharaohs in life, God is saying to us, see me. Then I want you to go back to verse 1. God does say, you will see. God is saying, this is going to happen because I said it. <laughs> and because I said it, it will. So now I want you to notice, we've went through the five I am's in this passage. Now there are eight I wills, eight promises that God gives to Moses in this passage. Again, what's he doing? Reassuring Moses. Does God know that his people needs reassurance? Absolutely. Is God willing to give his people reassurance? Absolutely. 
but we've got to turn to him. And that's what Moses did. Even when he was angry and frustrated and undone and exasperated and all of that, he turned to the Lord and the Lord then was able to reveal himself to him and then remind him of his promises. What are they? Verse 1, see what I will do to Pharaoh. In a sense, God is saying, I'm going to flex my muscle against Pharaoh and he's going he's to fold. He's going to give in because he cannot stand up to my power. I don't care how powerful you think that man is. He is a mere mortal compared to me. And all I've got to do is just begin to flex my muscle as God and my strong hand can bring you out. God wants to remind us of that tonight. I don't know what your Pharaoh is, what your circumstance is, how you know, daunting it is, how big it may seem, but it is nothing compared to the strong hand of our God. The words strong hand that God uses here twice in verse 1 indicate God's might and power, a might and power that is greater than anything in the universe. In fact, all things in the universe put together aren't as great as God's power. He is the almighty God. In fact, in verse 2, God spoke to Moses and said, I am the Lord. Remember that I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So God, again, is taking him back and saying, Moses, you're just a link in a very long chain. And this chain goes all the way back to the beginning when I established my covenant with Abraham. And I appeared to them as, notice, God Almighty, El Shaddai, the sovereign and sufficient one. But now notice what God says. This is very important. But by my name, the Lord, I was not known to them. What's God saying? Did not Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob know God? Yes. The words that God is using here is he's saying, but at that time, they did not know me as fully as you do. And they will not know me as fully as your people will when they begin to see these plagues that I'm going to be bringing upon the Egyptians and the land of Egypt. In other words, he's saying, Moses, your eyes are going to see things that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob never saw. Your people are going to see manifestations of my power and my sovereignty that they never saw because I am in a place now with you where I want to reveal myself more fully to you. Folks, God has got us right there, right now as a church. You see, there's two things in this passage that I, I, I really felt strongly about as far as even the pastor of this church and what God wanted me to share with you. And, and one of them was we all need to get our eyes fixed on Jesus. And we all need to get our eyes back on God and continually keep them on God. But the other thing God really wanted me to emphasize to all of us tonight is that God is in a place right now with us where he wants to reveal himself more fully to us. That yes, we know him in this way, but he wants us to know him in a greater way. He wants us to know him more fully. Just as he's communicating to Moses, Moses, I'm getting ready to reveal myself more fully to you, and so buckle your seatbelts, Moses. I'm getting ready to blow your mind. Guess what? 
I believe God is saying the same thing to us. I think he's saying to us, you haven't seen anything yet. These last 12 years, the things that you've seen me do in and around and through the oasis, I'm telling you, you haven't seen anything yet. I'm getting ready as your God to blow your minds. Buckle your seatbelts. Here we go. And God wants to see that we're ready for that, that, that we are ready for more of him that we not only want to keep our eyes fixed on him, but that we want to experience him and engage with him in a fuller way than what we, that we're not satisfied with where we are as a church or even where we are as individuals. We want more of God. And that's what God is saying here to Moses. He says in verse 4, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they were living as resident foreigners. I've heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I've remembered my covenant. It doesn't mean God forgot when he says I remembered. It speaks of God's timing in fulfilling his promise. God doesn't forget anything. When he says I remembered, he's simply saying now's my time to fulfill and that goes back to what I said earlier. Just because God has given us his presence, his provision, and his promises doesn't guarantee immediate results. We've seen that throughout the Bible. Again, I used Abraham last week. I used Joseph last week. So often, it's a timing thing with God. And that's why God says, yes, I've given you my presence, my provision, my power, my promises, but I'm not yet ready to fulfill it yet because I'm doing multiple things at the same time. And Moses, it might not be about you. So don't get disheartened. Don't get discouraged. I'm still with you. My promise is still as sure as it ever was. We're going to do this, Moses. It's going to happen because I said it. And God wants maybe someone here tonight to be encouraged by that as well. Maybe God hasn't opened up that door for you yet. Maybe God hasn't moved uh, you past a certain you know, situation yet. Maybe you don't see God answering that prayer yet. God is saying to you, keep your eyes on me and remember that I'm going to be faithful as we sung about tonight, but it's a timing thing. Just keep trusting me and in my perfect timing, I will make it beautiful in my time. In my time. Let's get back to the I wills. Besides God saying in verse 1, this is what I'm going to do to Pharaoh, and so you and I can apply that to whatever our obstacle or enemy or person or situation that's standing in front of us as our Pharaoh right now, God has the power that's greater than that Pharaoh, greater than that giant, greater than the giants in the land. And then secondly, notice the next promise. I will bring you out, verse 6. God wants to bring his people out from enslavement and that's not just true about his people in Egypt that's true about us why does God save us to set us free to release us into freedom to be able to enjoy freedom as the sons and daughters of God God doesn't want anything to dominate our life than him he, he wants us to be free people able to enjoy the freedom that we have through Christ. Uh, Paul even had to fight for that freedom 
to live by grace rather than by law because they wanted to bring him back under the law. And the whole book of Galatians is his treatise on, no, I'm going to stand in the grace of God and be free in the grace that God has given me and saved me with. And God is always fighting for the freedom of his people. Tonight, if something has a hold of you, if something has got its you know, hooks into you, know this that your God is strong enough to set you free from it. He can bring you out of it. I've seen it in my own life. I've certainly seen it in so many other people's lives. God can set you free tonight. Do you believe that? I will bring you out. And then notice, I will rescue you from the hard labor they impose. God is a rescuer. He can bring us up out of the pit he, he, can, he can, you know, save us. He can snatch us away from danger. Think about all the stories in the Bible of where God rescued his people from danger. Think about the stories we just learned from the book of Genesis, like Lot and his family being rescued out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Think about the story in Acts of, of Peter being rescued out of prison or Paul being let down uh, in a basket, you know, over the wall there in Damascus. Over and over again, God says, I can rescue my people. I can protect you. We need to look to him to be our rescuer. Then notice, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgment. That word redeem, again, is that same word that's used in the book of Ruth, the kinsman redeemer, the one who would bring positive change through personal involvement. That was Boaz. Boaz was Ruth and Naomi's kinsman redeemer. He was willing to come along in their life and through his personal involvement bring about positive results. That's redemption. That's what God did with us through Jesus Christ. Jesus became personally involved. He took upon human flesh. He left the glories of heaven. He became a human being. He became the God-man. And through personal involvement with us as humanity, he was able to set us free and redeem us and make a positive change and transformation in our life. We can trust God to do that throughout our lives not just in our initial salvation, but at all times. God can bring about positive change and transformation in our life through his personal involvement. Why do we think he gave us his personal Holy Spirit to dwell within us so that at all times we have the personal involvement of God living inside of us to be able to bring about positive change and results in our life, redemption all the time. Then I love this, verse 7. What's God's ultimate goal? Intimacy intimacy, closeness, nearness. What does God say in verse 7? I will take you to myself for a people. Literally, I'm going to gather you up and I'm going to bring you in and bring you close. Wow, what a picture. Sort of the same thing that Jesus said when he was outside of Jerusalem and he was weeping and he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you wouldn't. You didn't want me to bring you near. But that's always the heart of God. It isn't just to, you know, rescue us and redeem us, to leave us at a distance. It's to bring us as close to him as we possibly can get. That's always the heart of God. 
I love that. I want to take you to myself for a people. God has that same heart for you and, and me today. He wants to gather us all up and he wants to bring us closer to him. And then the next I will. I will be your God. God is basically saying, oh, and as I'm close, we're close, I'll be your all in all. I'll be everything and anything you need. Anything that you need or want, or it's all right here in me. So you don't have to look very far. You just have to look to me. I'm your God. I will be your sufficiency. I will, you will be complete in me. Then verse 8. I will bring you out to bring you to. We've already talked about this. God never takes his people from something without purposely taking them to something else. God takes us out to take us to. God brings us out to bring us in. That's always the purposes of God. God always has something else planned for his people in his purpose. If he's taking us from this, then he's taking us to something else. Otherwise, we become like the people were in the book of Exodus. We just wander. If we leave something without knowing where God's taking us to, then we just spin. We just wander. God does not want his people to wander. Wander is not a good thing. That's why they did it for 40 years. God wants his people to be moving towards something. So I bring you out to bring you to. And then the very last I will, the end of verse 8, I will give you this land as a permanent possession. It will be yours. You will be able to steward it. You will be able to be, I'm giving it to you. I'm entrusting you with this land. Wow. That shows again the, the heart of God, even as far as seeing us in, in ways many times that we don't see ourselves. That he believes in us many times more than we believe in ourselves. And especially when it comes to believing what we can accomplish through him. That we can do this. That's why, you know, there's coming a day for those of us who know the Lord that we're going to rule and reign with Christ. We are the princes and princesses of God. We are going to rule over his earthly kingdom and over his eternal. We're going to be co-regents with him. That's exactly what his purpose was with Adam and Eve in the garden. He didn't just put them there to just, no, he put them there so that they could take care of it all. So that he could make them basically the ones that took care of everything on earth, animal and everything else, like that they would steward and manage it all. But when sin came in, it prevented human beings from being able to manage it and steward it properly. And we have failed since the fall to manage and steward what God has entrusted to us. That's why Jesus, another reason why Jesus had to come and set things right again so that one day he's going to give it back to us again. Second try. Let's do this again. Because that's the way God is. See, God isn't like, okay, you failed, so that's it. No, God will always bring us back and say, okay, let's try it again because that's exactly, guess what, what God's getting ready to do with Moses. God isn't saying to Moses, okay, Moses, you failed me. Not because Pharaoh didn't let him go, because I told you he wasn't going to let him go at first. 
You failed me because you stopped believing in me and trusting in me. You took your eyes off me, so I'm done. No, God doesn't do that. God's going to tell Moses, okay, round two, let's go back. Back to your post. Because Moses, look at verse 9, told the Israelites all that God had revealed to him. You've ever been there where, like, maybe you were a little discouraged or something and you got this word from God or, or you got a song from God or a passage of Scripture or maybe a friend shared something and, 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 it, and, and it revitalized you, it, it renewed you, it encouraged you, and you couldn't wait to share it with somebody else and it fell flat? That's what happened to Moses. Moses sort of all reinvigorated and fired up and notice he goes to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and hard labor. Here's a really important principle. And sometimes we're there too. Sometimes the depth of our despair can drown out words of hope. That's important to remember, not only for us, but as we're dealing with other people. As a pastor for 38 years, there have been times in my life where I was sharing something that should have been encouraging with somebody. But they were in such the depths of despair that they really couldn't hear it or take it in at that moment, you see. And that's what Moses is running up against. Their present reality dictates to them what they think God can and cannot do. Oh, that's important because sometimes we're there too. Is that our circumstances begin to dictate what we think God can and cannot do. Because in our minds, God should have done something more or less or sooner or whatever. And because God hasn't worked that way, then we put our God back in that little box. And that's where these people are. They are in the depth of despair and therefore they are refusing to listen to the words of encouragement from Moses. But then notice what the Lord does. The Lord said to Moses, back to your post, Moses. Go back. Let's do this again. Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, that he must release the Israelites from the land. That's the way God works. Remember the story of Elijah? Elijah had that great victory on Mount Carmel and all of that, but then he didn't see the turnaround in the nation that he thought that would bring about, and he became so depressed, and he goes into that cave, and he basically tells God, oh, I just want to die. And God ministers to him just as he did Moses. He's very kind and merciful to him. He gives him something to eat, lets him rest for a couple days, but then what's God do? God says, okay, Elijah, get up. I got more for you to do. See, God, God will let us have our moments. He will let us have our time. He will let us have some days to sort of, you know, process some things and all of that. But there's going to come a point where God will come back and he will just say, okay, back to your post. Back to it. Oh, I've experienced that a lot in my 38 years as a pastor. There, there have been times where I know this is probably going to be really surprising to some of you, but... I have some really bad days at times. Sometimes Jeff has little pity parties for himself. 
Sometimes I go into my, you know, little closet or whatever and, and go, God, why aren't you doing this? And, why? and I thought this and I thought that and, and I'm, I'm frustrated and I'm exasperated and I'm, I'm, I'm sort of at the end of myself. And God lets me have my little, you know, tantrums and times and all of that. And then God says, okay, Jeff, get your eyes back on me and let's go back. Back to your post. Okay, God, okay. I love that about God. He, he gets us. And he'll let us, again, have those moments. But he won't let us stay there. Because it's not healthy to stay there. As he did with Moses, he wants us to see him before we see anyone or anything else. And to work from that perspective at all times. And then after we see him, then be reminded and reassured of his promises, of his word, of what he said he will do. Whether it's from his word, whether they're personal things that he said to us that we know we've heard his voice and maybe he just hasn't fulfilled it yet. And he's just saying, just more time. This isn't just about you. I'm working on multiple layers here, right? And so Moses replied to the Lord, verse 12, well, what if they don't listen to me? How will Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with difficulty? He's always going back to that, right? So the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge for the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the Israelites out of the land. He doesn't, he doesn't debate them about all this again. He just says, go, go. And then verse 14 seems like this bolt out of nowhere, right? From there all the way down through verse 25, it's this long list of, Levi's basically ancestry. Why? Because God wants to establish that Moses and Aaron were both from the tribe of Levi. They were Levites. And that because Aaron was also from the tribe of Levi, he was a worthy partner with Moses in the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. You see that even in verse 26, where for the one and only time in the Bible, Aaron is actually mentioned before Moses. It was the same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. By the regiments, they were the men who were speaking to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, in order to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. It was the same Moses and Aaron. Yeah, the same ones that have struggled, the same ones that didn't believe and trust all the time, the same ones that, that got their eyes off, but they were the same ones that God said, back to your post, man, back to your post. And that's what God will do with us. One other thing, and then I'll let you go tonight. And this is so cool. I hope this will be encouraging to you as it was to me. Notice something that it would be easy to pass by, but I don't want us to tonight. Notice what God says at the end of verse 26 of how he describes the people coming out of the land of Egypt. He uses the word regiments. He is telling Moses and Aaron, my people are not going to leave Egypt as fleeing slaves. They are going to leave Egypt as an army marching to the promised land in military formation. That's what the word regiments mean. My people are an army. They're not a bunch of slaves. They're my people. Again, they are princes and princesses of the Lord of hosts. They are my children. They need to hold their head up high. 
When they leave this land by my strong hand, they are my mighty army. That's the way I see my people. And can I say, that's the way God sees us today. That's who he sees us to be. Not this weak, impotent church that many times we can be as the people of God. No, God sees us as a mighty army marching under the direction of our Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, that every king will one day bow their knee to, that every person, every spirit, every evil spirit on earth, under the earth, and above the earth will bow their knee and recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. This is the army that God wants his people to be, and this is the army that he wants us to see ourselves at. That we are a mighty army, and the only thing that can cause our defeat are the things that we allow to cause us to defeat us. The victory has already been won for us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we do not fight for victory. We always fight from victory. We have victory in Jesus Christ. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us, Paul says. And that's the way God wants his people to see themselves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for such a wonderful time of worship and a, a time, Lord, of reflecting upon you from your word. God, would you help us to get our eyes back on you? Would you give us a desire, Lord, to know you more fully than what we do right now? God, could we see ourselves the way you see us through your eyes, both as a church, as a corporate body, and also as individuals as well? And God, may we be encouraged as we look to you. May we be encouraged as we sing these songs of worship that we've sung tonight, as we reflect upon the words that we've sung. May we be encouraged, God, tonight when we are reminded of the promises, God, not only that you gave to Moses, but that you've given to us as well. Because you're, you're faithful. And we can trust you to fulfill your promises in your beautiful time. God, go with us tonight. Take us all home safely tonight and bring us back next Wednesday that we once again might be in your house to worship you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.